Well, Lionel, where are we? We're at the top of Etna, Mount Etna, just over the top, surrounded by the black volcanic... Well, well you're looking the wrong way. What can we see? Oh, well, we can see the wolf pack, half of the wolf pack. The How many? depleted One, two, three, four. wolf pack. The depleted wolf pack. Mark Cavendish in there with three teammates. They've probably had quite a hard last hour or so coming up the climb, but they've made it inside the time limit. Well inside the time limit. We were worried at one point, weren't we? Because we saw he got dropped fairly early. Um, but it's been a punishing stage, a costly stage for quite a few people today, hasn't it? But change in the leadership of the race. Who's got the pink jersey now? Juan Pei Lopez. That's right, yes. Stage one by Leonard Kemner. He tried and tried in Hungary, didn't he? And uh, he's, well, third time lucky. Quite a business-like handshake between Michael Morkoff and Mark Cavendish there. How are you? How was that? How was that? That was all right, actually. It's a bit hot earlier. But you are all right? Yeah, it was all right. Just a bit good, like gnarly thing. Ben Swift, my Alaman teammate for the Commonwealth Games, just trying to put me out of the race. <laughs> He's pulling like that group was strong at the front, so they're just on it. Uh, it's just miserable. You alright? Yeah, good. See you in Messina tomorrow. I think there's a chance tomorrow, maybe? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll let you go, Mark. Nice one, well done. You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are on Etna. Well, Lionel, we've heard where we were, but who was that? Well, it was Mark Cavendish, wasn't it? He had come over the line with three teammates, 35 minutes down, but a good, what, 13, 14 minutes inside yeah. the time limit? There was some alarm at a certain point this afternoon because he'd, he'd lost contact with the peloton relatively early on today's stage and people started worrying about the time limit. But we were with the quick step alpha vinyl Swanya, who was quite relaxed, and they, they knew that Cavendish was going to make it pretty easily. And as you heard there, he was, he was fairly relaxed, wasn't he, Lionel? He was very much He was so. very pleased to see you, I think. Well, what have we got to say about where we are we're in a little cafe we've been in here before it's more of a sort of cafeteria almost than cafe not far from the finish line on Mount Etna um, we're going to be talking about Sicilian specialities today um, we've just had some arancini they're not the specialities that we're going to be focusing on tonight but Lionel note that in this part of Sicily it's arancini with an I in, in other parts of Sicily, on the other side of the island, it's Arancine with an E, but we're Ooh. not going to get lost in the weeds wow. on that. Wow. Um, today, Arancini, just in case anyone doesn't know, they are breaded rice, rice. balls, with Filling. often filled with meat or, or cheese. Yeah, mine had a sort of ragu in the middle. Yours was a more uh, spinach, and spinach. mozzarella. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the ragu ones are almost volcano-shaped, aren't they? they uh, are. Very nice. They fill a, fill a gap, certainly. And 
Well, what can we say about today's stage? Stage four. Shall we just get straight on to the, the tail of the tap? Tail of the tap. I didn't know whether this was the official, you know, start flag. Well, it's, this is kilometre zero of the tail of the tapper. Has which Superman w- Lopez abandoned the tail <laughs> of the tapper yet? <laughs> Not yet. I think we've another three or four kilometres to go before that happens. Uh, yes, yeah, stage four from Avola to Etna, 172 kilometres. And as you say, Daniel, the Giro d'Italia has lost Superman. Miguel Angel Lopez out, a very early crash on the road. Simon Yates was also in, uh, caught up in that particular crash. But Lopez threw in the towel or perhaps threw in the cape and is out of the Giro. Pretty terrible day for Astana all round, really, because Vincenzo Nibali, OK, we're not expecting him to be a contender for the win in this Giro, but he lost a lot of time. And early on, there was a big break of 14 riders and they very quickly got a 10-minute advantage. And at some point, as they approached the climb, that gap came down. And in fact, the last climb to Mount Etna, 22 kilometers long, and it was Stefano Aldani of the of the Alpecin Fenix team who attacked, and he went clear on his own and built a lead of around 30 seconds over the other 13. Uh, not long after that, his team leader and uh, Malia Rosa. Matthew van der Poel was dropped from the peloton, so my idea that he might try and hang on as far up the climb, well, that was poo-pooed pretty much immediately that they started climbing. Shortly after that, the lead group split into two roughly equal halves. Obviously, 13 riders can't split exactly in half, but in the front half, Leonard Kemner, Maui van Sevenant, Rain Tarame, Juan Pedro Lopez... Uh, Monique and Limreiser, they were the riders in the first half. And Aldani's lead was looking pretty healthy at that stage. Uh, he went into the virtual lead of the Giro as well at that point. And then on the climb, much further up the climb, Juan Pedro Lopez of Trek Segafredo attacked the others in the group. It took him a little while to join up with Aldani, but he soon left him behind. And then he went clear on his own and it was a lot later after that that Leonard Kemner joined up with him and those two would fight out the stage behind the GC battle Tom de Moulin was the first big name to get dropped around eight and a half nine kilometers from the top Vincenzo Nibali was dropped as I said and then Guillaume Martin as well so that was the damage done to the GC favorites Uh, Kemner caught Lopez and the pair of them went to the finish together knowing that Lopez was going to take the pink jersey and we thought it was a pretty much a done deal that Kemner would take the stage. Was there any deal between Leonard Kemner and Juan P. Lopez? They they did, well they certainly had a conversation a few kilometres from the finish and it seemed to be in their mutual interest to go to the finish together but then Juan P. Lopez kind of made most of well the speculation about whether there was an agreement redundant by sort of well he got things wrong didn't he on the final bend he skidded out he certainly and did consequently Kemner got three or four bike length bike limits advantage and from there it was a bit of a cakewalk for him wasn't it? Sounds like I've abandoned the tail of the tapper there. Sorry, right near the sorry, end. It's fine. sorry were you it's fine. coming to that? Well, Rain Tarame was chasing and doing a pretty good effort at chasing but was never likely to get up to the leading two. They did work pretty well together didn't they? And, and obviously they each had a prize. Kemner took his stage win here at the Giro he won in the 2020 Tour de France at Villa de Lens, of course. And Lopez gets the pink jersey. Still gassing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. 
Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Supersapiens. Thanks to Super Sapiens, our title sponsors, of course. And without spoiling the hunt we went on this morning, spoiler. Daniel. Do you, can you spoiler or, or do you just spoil? Spoiling? Spoiling? It's funny, I'm going to ask you about Well, I was going to ask you about this. I mean, sorry to interrupt the advert, but this is good. This is good. You'll like this tangent. Hey, Juan Pe Lopez is from a town in the south of Spain, Lebrija, where, which was also the birthplace of Antonio de Nebrija, who wrote the first ever grammar book. And the Spanish language. When I do mean, you think he wrote that? I've no idea. 1492. Wow. Sorry, I'm, carry I mean, on. This is extraordinary stuff. Extraordinary stuff. I mean, we've abandoned the very important message for our title sponsors. On, you can start Super again. Sapiens. You've got my well, permission. I'm not going to spoiler our search for today's Sicilian culinary delight. We'll hear about that a bit later on in the podcast. But what I did learn about my glucose levels is the impact that exercise can have on reducing a kind of sugar rush. Um, I'll say no more but I studied my data I was expecting a huge rush after the pre-breakfast snack but I didn't really have one because I'd run to the other side of uh, or, or well into uh, Syracuse uh, to meet you and then I ran back again so I kind of maintained a, a, a kind of an even blood glucose level despite having eaten something extremely uh, sweet Anyway, if you want to find out more about Super Sapiens and monitor your glucose levels for your training and performance, go to supersapiens.com. No more interrupting. Daniel. Uh, uh, given where he's from, I would like to know from you, Lionel. You attended the new Maliarosa's press conference. How is his grammar? How was his grammar? Well, his English was very good. Uh, there was a bit of a contretemps in the press conference because the Giro's organisers insist on questions being asked in English, I, I assume for the, the global audience. And there were a couple of Spanish and Spanish-speaking journalists who were slightly irritated to be asked to ask their questions in English. And was especially like when Lopez began... Uh, to answer in English and then wanted the question translated back into Spanish. There was a lot of sort of shrugging um, and, and a, a slight irritation there. But uh, Lopez, well, what do we know about Juan Pedro Lopez of Trek Segafredo? Well, he had a good welter last year, didn't he? 13th overall. As he says, from Andalusia, a huge fan of Real Betis Football Club. Sorry for the football mention, but there is a Giro link because a few days ago, back in Hungary, he tweeted to say that he had spotted someone wearing a Real Betis jersey. Uh, Real Betis playing green and white, as do one of the big teams or the biggest team in Hungary, uh, Ferenc Varos. They both play in green and white stripes. And the Ferenc Varos fans have a kind of an association with other green and white clubs around Europe. So when we, we went to the game, we saw Celtic shirts, for example. And so it doesn't surprise me Permission. that he would have seen a Real Betis shirt there. Permission to interrupt Ferenc Varos as featured in our Kilometre Zero, our latest Kilometre Zero, which came out today um, called Hungry Eyes. Pun intended, pun very much intended. And that is about the Giro's three days in Hungary and the politics and the subtext and the, well, the, the hand, a lot of hand-wringing. Some of it justified. Understandably this. so. I mean, uh, Daniel, you took the lead on that episode. It's, it's an excellent listen. Uh, any listeners who don't like politics served up with their sport... Uh, You'd probably uh, avoid it. Uh, 
perfectly entitled to avoid it. Um, any well, if if you uh, want to keep sport out of politics, um, you're you're in for in for a winner because uh, there's virtually no sport in it at all, is there? No. <laughs> but there's lots of interesting stuff about Hungary that is on the feed now. And just while I'm mentioning kilometre zero, our schedule is uh, slightly altered. Normally we come out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but because of the start in Hungary on Friday and the first episode of Kilometre Zero featuring Attila Valter on Friday we've tweaked the schedule a bit so the next kilometre zero will come out on Thursday and then there'll be another one on Friday and that's actually a two-part series anyway on with the sport on with the sport yes well a good day for Juan Lopez uh, Juan Pedro Lopez uh, did you know uh, this I did ascertain from the press conference although once I'd heard it I suddenly realized I knew it that he started out as a member of Alberto Contador's development team and I did know that he was a bit of a Contador protege. He was one of the riders, one of several riders who has at various times been flagged up as potentially the next Contador. Indeed, yeah. Well, he's in one sense a very real next Contador because the last Spaniard to wear the Malia Rosa in the Giro d'Italia was Alberto Contador on the final day of the 2015 race. And Contador also won on Etna um, 2011, I think. Yes, the the ascent of the Nicolosi side we did half of that today so indeed I mean a strong ride by Lopez I mean he made his move at just the right time it seemed to me he did say that he wanted to go on the steeper bits where he could gain uh, a gap over the rest of that chase group and make some inroads on um, the, the rider out in front which who was um, still Old Arnie at that stage um, Old Arnie who? <laughs> old Arnie. He's only 24 <laughs> Well, actually, I spoke to him at the finish, um, the Alpacin Fenix rider, because I wasn't too sure whether his move was, uh, you know, whether he had designs on the stage win, whether he thought he had any chance of staying away to the top. So I asked him that question. Well, you got into the big break today and you were out in front for a long time. What were you thinking? Did you think he had a chance to go all the way to the top? Actually, it was not in my plan on today to to go in the break. My, my, My work today... Uh, in the beginning of the day was just to stay close to Mathieu and uh, to help him to, to bridge in the break, to jump in the break actually. Uh, but then uh, when the break gone, I asked to Mathieu what I had to do and he told me just try to jump in. And uh, I bridged the break and, and then I thought, okay, now I'm here. So we will see. I knew already that was not my, my day actually. Uh, I'm not a climber, so I knew that there was strongest guys so I tried just to do my best and when I saw that I had a small gap in the beginning of the climb I just took okay I tried to go with my pace and and to just go regular as much as possible because I know that I knew that uh, it was not uh, possible for me to follow the attacks of the climbers so I took that I had nothing to lose and I just tried What's it like riding with Van der Poel in the pink jersey, having the pink jersey to defend since Hungary? Yeah, for sure it's something really special, especially for an for, for Italian rider like me, to have the pink jersey in the team. And to, we had really nice days in the first days in, in Hungary. So it was really something uh, spe- special and emotional for sure. Interesting to hear from old Arnie there that his job today was to try and help Matthew van der Poel get in the early move. And van der Poel did make a very early attack. He's one of the riders trying to move 
at the start of the stage but obviously no one in any mood to let the pink jersey go up the road um, just far too dangerous and a bit of an unknown quantity in a Grand Tour really um, so no leeway for Van der Poel today but then he gave old old Arnie old the Arnie. Uh, he gave old Arnie the nod there. <laughs> well, old Leonard as well. You mentioned timing. I was very impressed with old Leonard's timing um, because there were there were a few riders, a couple of riders who moved before he did, and he always looked like the strongest rider in the group. Well, we know, don't we, that he's he's in great form. He showed that on the first stage when he attacked on the way to Visegrad. Um, he did a really good time trial as well on the second stage. I spoke to him after that and he confirmed that he was in excellent form and well, he looked like a man who thought that he was going to win the stage all, all the way up that final climb to Etna. Interesting character, isn't he, Leonard Kemeny? He's had a couple of breaks. I mean, we, I mean, we talked about Juan P. Lopez having been touted as a, well, as a prodigy of Spanish cycling. Leonard Kemner is similar in Germany. Um, he had a, a few months off, sort of off, um, you know, taking a strategic pause from his career when he was at Sunweb. I can't remember whether it was called Sunweb back then, but he did it again last year at Bora Hansgrohe. And he's, he's spoken fairly openly about this. Um, he, the catalyst was an, an infection. He had a health problem, but... This was followed by, well, stress linked to, I suppose, anxiety, guilt, whatever it was, about not being able to ride, not being able to compete. I mean, I'll just read a quote from an interview he gave earlier in the year. I felt that I lacked the opportunity to develop other interests. I lived my life wrongly. I had missed the opportunity to open up to other experiences, and when something unexpected happened, my stress levels increased and I could no longer manage it. It was difficult for me to get out of that tunnel, but now I realise how much I have missed cycling. He's certainly a talent, isn't he, Lionel? He is a talent. I mean, in our Giro preview, when we talked about the, uh, the well, the French would call it the Carré Magique, wouldn't they? The magic square, the four uh, riders that, that Bora Hansgrohe have got, all of whom I think are capable of finishing in the top ten of a Grand Tour. I did think that Cam- Kemner was more of the stage hunter than the yeah. overall contender. We talked, didn't we, earlier in the year at the start of the season about Bora and how they were really sort of pushing their, all of their chips into the middle of the table for the Giro with Kelderman, Buchmann and Hindley, but they were quite explicit early in the season about the fact Kemner would not ride for GC and that he would have a lot of freedom here at the Giro, and so it's proved. Well, it just makes me think, I mean, all four of those riders made the the big split, so Bora Hansgrohe are really the big winners of the day, and they put possibly the least, you know, they've opened up with a kind of a a six, haven't they there? They haven't really gone in with the big cards that they've still got up their sleeve, so really excellent um, strategy from Bora Hansgrohe, I mean, the dream scenario for them, really, and kind of dangerous of the peloton to let Kemner get into the position that he's now in 39 seconds off Lopez who leads and will I assume lead for a couple of days at least also Ryan Tarame a dangerous rider to allow uh, into an advanced position in the GC but I suppose as expected Simon Yates is the virtual leader of the Giro in the sense that he didn't take the pink jersey today, but of the pre-race favourites, he is best place. One forty-two minutes down. Not the perfect day for Yates because, of course, he crashed at the start of the stage and, well, you saw him being treated at the top. I followed him back to the team bus and, well, he went from the team bus team vehicle straight to an ambulance where he was being checked out. There wasn't too much alarm around the bike exchange team bus. It was a precautionary measure. He had pumped 
bumped his knee. I did speak to Matt White, his director sportif, uh, about what may have happened and what its implications could be. Well, Matt, a uh, good day, I suppose, in the sense that, well, there were some GC riders that lost a fair amount of time today. Simon didn't lose any time, but he did have a crash earlier in the day. And what do you know about what happened? Oh, uh, look, we won't be commenting on until we find out what, what happened. But he obviously he landed, landed on his knee and uh, it, it, really early in the stage, I think it was after six kilometres. So uh, got through the stage with the best 10 guys and uh, it was in, in the end, that was a good result. And we saw the wind on the final climb. I mean, it's often windy up here. On some of the stretches, obviously, it's because it's a hairpin climb. Sometimes it's a tailwind, sometimes it's a headwind. Yep. How much did it affect the race? I think what affected the race the most today was probably the fact that uh, the best guys weren't contesting for the win. Uh, you know, once the bottom slopes, when uh, the ch teams who were chasing didn't really push on, then the, the win was going to be out of reach. And I think that changes, obviously, the tactics uh, for teams. And... You know, once we get into the, the higher slopes here, it does become very exposed and there was a lot of headwind in the final. Um, Tom Dumoulin obviously was dropped pretty early, 8.5k to go. Ineos were really strong. Did we learn anything else today? Uh, there was... The, well, Ineos uh, had the intent to try to win the stage today um, and uh, they maybe left their chase a little bit too late. Maybe they're waiting for us to chase. Maybe they're waiting for more commitment from other teams like Bahrain, UAE, Movistar, who knows? Um, but they uh, they showed that they they certainly have strength in numbers. And Juan P. Lopez in the pink jersey that will suit quite a lot of GC teams, won't it? Well, it just it doesn't for the next forty eight hours. It doesn't change a thing at all for any of us because they're two opportunities for the sprinters. So regardless if we're in the jersey or or Ineos in the jersey. The next two days are an opportunity for sprinters before we hit uh, a hard little block from stage seven onwards. From one Aussie to another, Lionel, Richie Port rode very well today, but we expected him to, to ride well. We expected Ineos to ride well, didn't we? They've looked really strong so far. They've got a really good team here at the Giro, and Richard Carapaz was never flustered, never in trouble. They took the race on as well, didn't they, on, on the final climb to Etna. They were quite aggressive. I did speak to Richie Port, particularly about the conditions on Etna. We've mentioned the possibility of headwinds a few times before this stage. And, um, well, Richie Port confirmed that it was a factor. I mean, we did what we had to do. So, um, you know, Richard's obviously, you know, that it wasn't actually the plan there to do that. So, you know, Richard's obviously in good, good nick and uh, confidence. So it's good to see. Richard, we've seen the wind play a big role here before. Is that Was that the story of the day? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously it's quite sheltered, but when you're in the final, the wind wasn't going to be so great. But I think we can take confidence, you know. We, we all did a, did our bit. Um, like I said before, Tullet's probably unlucky. I think he would have been there, probably done what I had to do. But uh, uh, it's good signs. They did ride very well in the Grenadiers and very aggressively. Jonathan Narvaez was doing a lot of work on the climb. I wondered whether they were hoping to bring it all back together so that the stage win would also be up for grabs, but they didn't really need to do that. No, I did speak a bit more to Richie just off mic there, and he confirmed that the atmosphere in the team is great. I mean, he's a big fan of Carapaz, not only as a rider, but as a, as a man. I mean, he made a very favourable comparison with the mood in the team at the Tour de France last year when things didn't go all Ineos' way, and he said it's a completely different um, ambiance this year. On a much more sombre note, Lionel, um, Richie also did express his condolences um, for Richard Moore's passing last month, and, and Richie himself was quite affected by it. Um, 
I think last year or a couple of years ago, we sent Richie one of Stacey Snyder's mugs. Can you confirm, was that after which Grand Tour? I can't remember which Grand Tour, but I think what happened was that it didn't arrive and so a replacement was sent. Yes, indeed. And Richie said that he does and will continue to treasure that mug um, as a as a memory, as a monument to our great friend Richard Moore. Well, he has two mugs, doesn't he? Because it turned out that the concierge at his apartment in Monaco had just not passed it on. Just one more thing on the way the stage panned out, Daniel. Maury Van Sevenham, what did you make of the way he rode on that climb? Because he looked, you know, like he had ants in his pants, as they say. Um, looked quite lively. Ants in his legs, the French say. Ants in his... Oh, right, OK. Well, he looked quite lively, but kind of went too early and left it too late both at the same time almost it seemed to me he kind of not didn't quite nail the, the move didn't quite mark the right people at the right time I was standing next to some Dutch journalists and they were sort of tutting and rolling their eyes saying oh you just watch the Belgians you know now Mary Van Seven will be the new Eddie Merckx everyone will have forgotten about Remco by tomorrow um, <laughs> but that's that says more I think about the sort of petty rivalry between the Dutch and the Belgians than it does about Mary Van Seven and that's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Noom. Now, I've probably mentioned this, but I have lost a fair bit of weight as a result. Once of or Noom. twice. <laughs> um, I don't mention it too much, uh, Daniel, um, but I've gone down clothes sizes. I'm actually wearing a pair of chinos. That Mark Cavendish really didn't fit. mention it, did he? He didn't, did he? He didn't. I would have thought he said, oh, you're looking race felt, Lionel, but no, he didn't. Anyway, if you want to sign up for Noom and see if it can work for you, go to noom.com slash cycle. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash cycle. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, the way it's worked for me is it's just changed some of my behaviours, really. Um, it's got me moving more and it's got me eating slightly less. And, well... While I'm here at the Giro d'Italia, I've not been able to log all of the calories that I've been eating just because it, it's just a bit too difficult to go through every meal and guess. You don't want to ruin my holiday, oh, do you? I don't you? want to ruin your holiday either, Daniel. However, some of the psychological kind of tricks I play on myself um, just to restrict the amount that I eat and also cut down on the number of snacks that I have during the day have really... Uh, well, they've taken hold and they've become habits now, whereas previously my habit was always to sort of fill in the gaps between meals. I'm now able to resist those temptations, mainly because I'm not having those temptations. Anyway, it's really, really? worked for me. Really? Are you not? I think you're going to talk about this now. There was well, one temptation this morning. There was a very big temptation this morning, and I was... I. I basically had enough of this delightful sweet treat about halfway through but I did push on and finish it I shudder to think how many calories it would have been on the Noom app uh, I might add it to uh, to find out anyway noom.com slash cycle Lionel fancy seeing you here on the other side of Siracusa well I've, I've been running as you can tell Daniel um, you're still resting after your crash the other day well, you're looking fine physical form there, and you're St. Auburn City Football Club, yeah, lovely yellow shirt. Physically, as I say, you look great. Mentally, I'm slightly worried about you after four days in the gym. Yesterday was tough. We moved countries. Like you think you might be a bit disoriented. I'm worried about the jet lag. So do you know what? Today, I'm taking you for therapy. Therapy? Fantastic. As long as it doesn't cost me £60 for 50 minutes, which is what my therapy usually costs me. No, Lionel, this is therapy with a difference. In our bed and breakfast in Siracusa last night, I saw an intriguing flyer offering, wait for it, canolo therapy. 
Now, you know what a canola is, don't you? Um, it's a, it's a, a sweet delight. It's a huge burst of sugar. It's a bit early in the morning for my sugar rush, but we'll, well, it will get me back to the apartment, won't it? I'll be full of energy. So, yeah, this place, um, we're, we're near the hospital in Siracusa, and it's famous for its cannoli, and they are, they are offering cannola therapy. There's a, well, explain what's on the flyer, what's on the poster. Well, a very charismatic-looking man. Uh, with, who's just emerged from the kitchen, I think. Oh, the glasses are sort of um, the brown, round-rimmed glasses. Uh, he's got a big star in his T-shirt and the cannoli bursting out of the star in sort of 3D fashion. I mean, he's like a superhero minus a cape, as far as I'm concerned. And they're offering cannolo therapy, can, uh, cannolo terapia, and there's a slogan, mettete cannoli nei vostri cannoni. Put cannoli in your cannons. No, il concetto di cannolo terapia, noi abbiamo una storia, abbiamo più di 60 anni di attività e lavoriamo su quello su uno dei due motivi per cui si vive una, uno è il sesso e l'altro il cibo da 60 anni ha detto 40 so they've been going for six, 62 years and he said they've, they've always worked on the basis that there are two things that keep us alive one is sex and the other is food accomodate due minuti ottimo grazie so he says sit down and he's going to bring he's going to administer the cannolo terapia Well, Lionel, at that point, we were yet to receive our canola therapy, weren't we? That was still to come. Um, I was slightly, well, apprehensive because I'm not a big eater of sweet things. In fact, I don't eat any sweet things usually. Well, you did very well. You finished it off, didn't you? Well, we'll hear about that later, won't we? We will. Do you know indeed. what? Who didn't finish the stage today? Superman. Um, Miguel Angel Lopez, well, we all remember his abandonment of the Vuelta a España last year. What we learned today, after he had abandoned the stage very, very early on in the first few kilometres, was that he had some kind of inflammation above his knee, and he'd had this for a while, certainly a few days. The team thought that he was going to be able to get through. That was not the case. I mean, I did speak to one direct sportif after the finish, who shall not be named, who, who was surprised, shall we say, at how quickly... Miguel Angel Lopez threw in the towel and there was a lot of debate, there was a lot of talk on Italian TV as well in the post-stage show sort of suggesting that he'd thrown in the towel a little bit too easily. I think that is a bit presumptuous and we have no idea how bad the issue was and I think to draw conclusions about that is a little unfair or very unfair and very hasty. Well, the Astana team has sent out some information, haven't they? They've said that uh, he'd been suffering from this thigh problem for a few days. They tried to do their best to sort it out in the early days in Budapest and during the rest day, but it didn't work. And so uh, they think tendon inflammation to the left quadriceps, probably overtraining or old injury that's flared up again. And I guess in those, you know, we're only we're only in the very start of the Giro, uh, Mount Etna to come, 22 kilometres of climbing. If it's not right, it's going to get found out. I mean, pulling out if it's at that not right point, is not okay, as, Whit- as Whitney Houston did not see. Uh, well, you know, what would what would be worse, pulling out early and having a rival team manager say, "Oh, he gave in a bit too easily," or finishing 15, 20, 25 minutes down at the top of Etna 
uh, having ridden 170 kilometres for no real gain. So, I mean, it's just an unfortunate pattern emerging for Lopez, though, isn't it? Because if you think back to the 2020 Giro, he crashed in the opening time trial here in Sicily, didn't make it as far as Palermo. Then last year in the Tour de France, he didn't start stage 19 after having had a pretty torrid time. He was in the sort of mid-30s on GC. And then, of course, the Vuelta last year abandoned on the penultimate day, having started the day third overall. I mean, really extraordinary circumstances. That had a bit of a hissy fit, really, at being told by Movistar not to chase the Roglic group down uh, because, obviously, they had Enric Mass in the GC mix. So that's four Grand Tours in a row that Lopez has been less than super in. Also less than super today, unfortunately for him, Tom Dumoulin uh, and, well, also his Jumbo Visma teammate, uh, Tobias Foss. Foss lost 4 minutes 14 seconds. Dumoulin, he was dropped about 8.5 kilometres from the finish and he ended up losing 8 minutes 20. I heard the interviews he gave at the finish and he was just, well, he was very down, obviously, and he was very miffed. I heard rumours, Lionel, and I told you about this and I, I think I alluded to it in our preview podcast. I heard rumours that both of those riders had had a few issues in training on Tenerife at altitude before the Giro and weren't necessarily in the best of form. They were hoping to turn it around, but obviously that hasn't happened. Talking of altitude training camps, Lionel, we're sitting here, a few, well, we're just a few 100 metres, not even 100 metres, probably 50 metres from the Refugio Sapienza, where, as we heard the other day, Guillaume Martin prepared for the Giro d'Italia and it's a place that he is very... Um, well, he's very fond of. He probably is a bit less fond of Etna and the Etna climb after today because he's another GC rider who struggled and ha- has struggled in, in this first week of the Giro. Guillaume Martin, 29th today, lost four minutes and six seconds. Indeed. And we struggled a bit last night, didn't we, in well, Ortigia? Yeah, well, just before we get to that, I mean, we should also mention the hero of Hungary, Attila Valta, who had a tough day and has uh, uh, over 13 minutes lost today. And, and all of that hope and expectation, the, the the success last year in the Giro with three days in pink, the thought that perhaps he might crack a, a decent result here on GC, kind of up in smoke. Yeah, and I did overhear old Attila, not old old Arnie this time old Attila um, as he rode past me just off the finish line he was speaking to another rider from a different team and I overheard Attila saying what the bleep I guess the Giro started indeed and just on the GC picture I mean that group that all came in at 2.37 down it's uh, I think it's 17 riders I could rattle through them all but Carapaz Bardet Bilbao Almeida Landa Valverde Ciccone Allensman, Hindley, Port, Kelderman, Lucas Hamilton, Sosa, Buitrago, Buchmann, Yates and Carthy. I mean, that's basically the Giro battle for the top 10 places. Do you know who's had a bad start to the Giro as well? Lucky Lorenzo. Lorenzo Fortunato, who had high hopes for riding GC. He lost another load of time today. Sorry, I think earlier I gave Guillaume Martin's GC position, not what he lost on the stage. Probably the same for Tobias Foss, but um, it was, you know... It was within two minutes of being of being accurate. Um, <laughs> Lucky Lorenzo is forty first on general classification. He is um, almost six minutes down. You mentioned the last night's meal. Before that, we probably should talk about how we got from Hungary to Sicily in the first place because we were on a very well organised charter flight, weren't we? From we were uh, from heavies to. Uh, 
Oh, Catania, where yes. the stage starts tomorrow. We were on the flight with the Astana team. I mean, I was sitting behind Miguel Angel Lopez and I just accidentally kicked him in the left quadriceps. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I was actually sitting just behind Giro Scognamilio. So we really were surrounded Superman by... Superman was on the flight. Giro, uh, Giro legends. Gianni Savio was on there as well. Caleb Ewan and the Lotto Sudal team were on there. Um, got ourselves to Sicily. We got out of rather scruffy Catania down to a very pleasant town, um, Syracuse, and then the little island Ortigia just to the south of the quail. Syracuse, the quail. The, yes. um, it comes from the Greek for quail, the name. We had a lovely bottle of this Messina beer with the salt in it um, last night, and then we went for dinner. We, To our shame, we squandered the opportunity to take Brian Nygaard up on one of his recommendations. I mean, you're wincing. We're, we're admitting this. No, it, it Ryan, I think you'll find that Brian's recommendation was full last night and we couldn't get in. We tried very hard. Oh, yeah. We were okay. almost breaking down the door, well, Brian. We would have broken the bank maybe if we'd gone there. But in, in actual fact, it would have been money well spent because the place we ended up in, uh, I think they forgot our second courses, didn't they? We were waiting an awful long time. And they tried to placate us for two hours in, two and a half hours in with... Amaro, Limoncello, more glass of red wine, all of which we batted back, none well, of which we accepted. Mm. Um, not because, you know, we were ungrateful, um, but simply because we didn't want to drink anymore. No, it was an extraordinary kind of two-hour wait for a couple of courses, wasn't it? Um, they started we off so better well. Tonight. We've got a record. We've not only got a recommendation, we've got a reservation quite soon. Yeah, and I was also worried that the the guy was it the chef or was it one of the waiters? But I, I don't chef. think I don't think he'd have passed a dope control test, judging that by is, that is judging um, by a uh, he, was, he was well. We haven't named the establishment, have yeah, we? Okay, but, uh, he was a bit on edge. Lionel, moving on, talking about journeys to Sicily, 1949. I'm going to take you back to 1949, a time when old Arnie was probably already riding the Giro d'Italia. He was not in 1949. But what did happen in that year, Dino Buzzati, who we've spoken about before, famous Italian writer, novelist, covered the Giro d'Italia and his first piece on the Giro that year. Well, it was about the the means of travel, the way the riders were getting to Sicily. And they were all aboard a boat called the Città di Tunisi, a big cruise ship. And Buzzati, instead of you know writing a, a preview of the sort of runners and riders, what Coppi might do, might do in the Giro, what Gino Bartali might do, he he tried to get inside the mind of a, a sort of an everyman rider, a, a humble Gregario, a no-hoper, and he tried to imagine what such a rider might be dreaming as he went to sleep that night on the Città di Tunisi boat. I'm just going to read a little bit of what he wrote about a dream, the dream of this nameless rider that Buzzati delighted in imagining here finally comes catania the murmur that a miracle is occurring has traveled even faster than him and has caused the delirium of people flags applause kisses and general fanfare the timekeepers their eyes wide open have their gaze fixed on the road where he swept past like an arrow the road clear ahead of him deserted extraordinarily unencumbered and meanwhile the hands on the stopwatch keep ticking and there's still no other rider in sight 47 minutes 48 55 60 an hour and five minutes go by before the chasers finally loom and the crowd stands in silence watching them how easy it is to dream on this night aboard the giant ship with its lights ablaze and why stop at just a stage victory why not extend the advantage to a couple of hours and why not stretch out the miracle to the ultimate finish line average speed 44 kilometers an hour 
a whole day and a half ahead of the second place rider. Copy driven insane, Bartoli locked away in a convent. Because anyway, what does it cost to dream? Face down on his bunk, he smiles, victorious and vindicated, he who will never win the race, the peddling janitor, the loyal slave, the humblest one. This tickled us, didn't it, Lionel? We, it, it, it got us thinking, could a, such a scenario ever occur? A rider getting, I don't know, I don't think they'd get a day advantage. What did you say, two days? Um, or, but could they get an hour? I mean, we've seen the Giro won by um, a rider in the 50s, Carlo Clerici, who won the Giro d'Italia in Lionel, 1954, with uh, what was probably unfairly... Um, described as a lucky break we've seen Roger Alcoviat do it in the Tour de France and we've seen it more recently with Oscar Pereira got a lot of time in 2006 to win the Tour de France and if that couldn't happen Lionel do do the breakaway specialists of today do they dream of this kind of scenario materialising um, is that what Thomas de Ghent for example Alessandro De Marchi or Jos van Emden is that what they were dreaming of as they made their way, or the night before they made their way to Sicily two days ago. I think we're going to find out. I think we're going to find out. Uh, I sometimes dream about the breakaway, but usually it's not the... That I have a one hour advantage, it's, uh, m- most of the time it's like really close at the finish and then uh, the peloton just can't catch me or I win with like 2-3 seconds. So usually when I dream about a breakaway it's uh, in uh, more like that scenario. It's not always the same breakaway, also not always the same breakaway companions, it's, uh, it uh, depends on which race I am. and. Uh, like now I will dream more about Italian riders than French riders, it sounds strange, but it's, uh, uh, yeah, it depends which ways I'm in. I have uh, always a dream of uh, a breakaway. And uh, about uh, Dino Buzzati uh, books, uh, I have a really good uh, and nice um, memory of this one. I, and I remember well the this part of the about the boat and uh, I mean for us probably is a bit less uh, romantic but um, something we have I mean in common with uh, with this guy with these uh, riders uh, is, is what you say the, the dream uh, for sure they are different for they are more uh, related to, to our history to our uh, time but in the end, it's really the the sense of the the cycling. I mean, the, the to be a rider, to be a cyclist. So uh, actually, I, I still didn't know when I when I will find the, the good legs, the the, the good uh, the good feelings. But uh, I'm looking for it, and I I'm just waiting. And I know that uh, can be tomorrow, can be in ten days, uh, or can be also in three months. But uh, yeah, that's the that's the dream. That's the dream. That's the dream. Yos, um, I won't bore you with the details, but in years ago, 1949, a very famous Italian writer at the Giro wrote about a dream uh, a Gregario, or a breakaway specialist, had where he took an hour and ten minutes, and it was on the stage in, in Sicily, first stage in Sicily. 
Do you ever dream about breakaways, taking loads of time and living a, a pink jersey dream, yellow jersey dream? <laughs> For personally? Yeah, do you ever dream about that? No, no, no. I, I know what I'm capable of and I know what I'm not capable of. So uh, um, I think they can, they can give me... Uh, if they give me an hour, it's maybe possible at the foot. But uh, <laughs> no, no, it's it's a nice story. Actually, it would be it would be really nice that uh, that some yeah like a nobody would take a jersey uh, with a, a two hours uh, advantage. Could, it, could uh, it happen nowadays? It, nah, it won't happen. Nah, even even if it's me or Eduardo, you know the big guys, uh, the 80 kilogram guys. They, I think there's there's still one team that would be uh, yeah like oh getting nervous and put someone in front but well sometimes I, I, st I still dream about winning a stage somewhere so uh, then uh, then I wake up and I tell my wife oh I, I, I was dreaming about uh, having a victory somewhere or, or getting the uh, getting a pink jersey sometimes sometimes it gets in my in my head and um, then you wake up and then I wake up yeah so that's uh, that's uh, that's something that's not gonna happen anymore there were some years I was chasing it and wow. I, I think I can still have a nice li life without a pink jersey. Thanks, your sweet dreams today. Thanks, thanks. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. You can get 25% off all Science in Sport's products to help you fuel before, during and after your racing or training at scienceinsport.com with the code SISCP25. I am going to make a request for a canolo-flavoured energy gel. I think the ricotta, the sweetened ricotta flavouring would be perfect for an energy gel. It's almost the right consistency as well. A very easy to absorb all of that energy very quickly and scienceandsport.com, the code SISCP25. And if you're wondering what on earth Canolo is, Canoli are... Well, you won't listen to the first bit of the podcast, but it, it, should there be any lingering doubt... Okay, so what we've got a postcard here. It's a certificate that we've received the Canolo therapy... And then he gives the canalo. <laughs> Line up, stay and be quiet. <laughs> so, so he's brandishing an iPad. So Line, he takes a photo as proof it's not as a certificate but as proof that as you're eating the canola your expression your whole face changes your whole world changes Lionel oh, doesn't matter right now we have to examine un attimo di pazienza avete ascoltato il rumore del morso did you listen to the the noise of the bite the crunch yeah the yeah, crunch the crunch perfect allora i cinque sensi five senses Visto. Avete Sight. visto il cannolo arrivare? You saw, you saw the cannolo arrive. Mm -hmm. Il tatto. Ce l'avete in mano? Touch. You can feel it in your hands. Il rumore. The noise. Avete sentito? The il rumore tanto il crunch. Però nello stesso momento le vostre papille, pum, si sono aperte. 
the same time so you always your um, taste buds sorry Esse sono riempite di quello che avete morso, la ricotta e la crosta. And they were filled with what you ate, the ricotta and the, and the um, Ok, siamo crust. a quattro. Manca That's il quinto. Senses. The fifth one's coming. Ok, dai un morso. Devi dare il morso perché così non ah, vale. Okay. <laughs> Stai respirando con? Quando dai il morso, respiri col naso. Because when you bite in, you breathe with your nose. Mm. E respiri la cannella. The cinnamon. Can, you can smell the cinnamon. La cannella è un vaso dilatatore. Cinnamon is a base dilator. Le papille che si sono aperte e riempite. In the taste buds that are opened and, and filled up. Arriva la cannella, boom! <laughs> cinnamon arrives and the, and the cannella is. Ecco la cannelloterapia. This is the cannella therapy. Lastly, we're here in Sicily. I wanted to ask, what do you make of cannoli? Oh, that's uh, Sean Yates. You have to go to Sean Yates to say Sean. In, in 1991, when he first came to Sicily, and I was in the team. Uh, no, I was in, in 91, I was in, in Motorola or 93. We used to eat probably six cannoli a day, me and him. I mean, wait, it wasn't an issue. You just ride your bike as hard as you could, you know? But. Uh, I had a cannoli yesterday, cannolo yesterday, and uh, fantastic, I love them, we, we love them. But Astron Yates. I mean, what's the perfect, I mean, it's the combination of the crunch and then the soft filling, isn't it? That's yeah. got to be perfect. The, the, the combination of the crunch uh, has to be crunch, when you, actually when you bite it. Uh, the, the ricotta inside doesn't have to be too sweet because ricotta's got that rich taste already. And uh, I love it with the uh, canditi. Frutta candita, more than chocolate drops, I'd say. Frutta candita is another delicatessen, you know, I mean, fantastic. So, and you have to bit of, have a bit of uh, sugar, flour sugar, sugar flour, however you call it, what has to kind of drop on your t-shirt a bit. And a little couple crumbles, and you have to go like that, and the, and the sugar has to just go, disappear. So this, this whole little, you know, a ritual, a ritual for that cannoli. You don't have to just shove it in, you know, <laughs> say like that. Wow, what a, I mean, what a lesson in, not in cannoli, but life that was. Incredible. Um, I was going to say, the, the, the filling is a lot more delicate than I remember it. The, mm. the ricotta filling. It's not as sweet and overwhelmingly sweet as I've had before. Maybe that's what's put me off before. He obviously is getting the balance of the senses right, isn't he? Sounds like a man who spent a lot of time with his, the family, spent 60-odd years studying cannoli. What do you think? This um, cannolo terapia, mm. you think it could catch on? Do you think, you know, after, I don't know, cognitive behavioral therapy, well, Freud psychoanalysis, the next big joking, development? Joking aside, it, it's a lesson in mindfulness, isn't it? It is, that's very in the true, moment, actually. Enjoying what you're eating. And, that, I mean, completely joked aside, that's something that I've tried to do over the last few months is eat a little bit less and enjoy a little bit more. Um, so I think he's onto something, definitely. Well, Lionel, what an extraordinary experience that was. I mean, we heard there also from the Movistar direct sportive Max Shandu, who sounds like, well, he's more of a canola aficionado than we are. He's more of a canola expert, perhaps even, than 
Um, my mate Julian Pinot, brother of Thibaut, um, who I christened Canoli a few years ago, and I, I did share the pictures today um, of our trip to see Franco Neri, the, the Canolo maestro, who was telling us all sorts of stories. He's, he's huge in Japan. There was a Japanese TV crew that visited him um, not long ago. 14 Japanese journalists and cameramen who spent three days just filming him making cannoli did you believe that anyway i shared the pictures with julien and he was he was very envious because he's not here at the giro mm, indeed i think we're going to hear from one of our audio diarists aren't we ben ben zwiehoft a teammate of course of leonard kemner at bora hansgrower so hello guys yeah absolutely outstanding day for us i think there's nothing to add I spent a really nice time last year with Lenny at the Cape Epic and yeah, we enjoyed it actually and it was more or less the start of uh, more or less the start of a good comeback, I would say. Already three wins in the pocket this season. Lenny is an absolute machine and it's really impressive in my opinion. Yeah, and for sure, we we suffered also at the Cape Epic, and uh, yeah, it was a hard time. But now, all the work pays finally off. That's nice to see. And yeah, beside of that, our day was super good. Uh, we could keep our GC guys out of trouble. They finished with the main GC contenders, and. Yeah, everything was simply perfect for us today. Just to wrap up a couple of other bits of business from today's stage, because I didn't actually explain that Matthew van der Poel, I did say, has obviously lost the pink jersey, but he came in 97th, 22 minutes, 54 down. But he will wear the Ciclamino jersey as points competition leader tomorrow. Kemner didn't get the pink jersey, but he does add the blue King of the Mountains jersey. And Lopez is the best young rider as well because he qualifies for that category. But the jersey will be worn by Maori van Sevenant. And we did lose another rider besides Superman, Jakob Marechko of Alpacin Phoenix. Van der Poel's team, of course, was another who didn't make it to the finish. Lionel, last time we were in this very cafe, we were, well, we were with Chiro, weren't we, who we'll hear from. Over the coming days, we haven't been able to, well, get our mitts on him yet, have we? Um, He's so slippery, isn't he? he? Is I mean, slippery. he just runs off. Yeah. We were with Chiro and we were also with our late great friend, Richard Moore. Il Giro del Buffalo. Remembering Richard Moore. Chiro Scognamilio from Gazzetta della Sport. Hello, Chiro. Listeners, I have uh, tears in my eyes. Unfortunately, you can't see me now, but I'm really proud to be back here and uh, I can't contain my, my emotion. Also, my English that is not, uh, as you know, excellent. Maybe it will be even worse because for me it's even difficult to speak. Thank you. Happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> 
Okay, Chiro. Yes. Well, it's, we're happy as well, and lots of our listeners will be happy because there've been a lot of requests for where is Chiro has been uh, has been trending on Twitter. That question, where is Chiro? Listeners, fortunately, nothing has changed in my mind and in cycling. As usual, uh, my priority is not uh, this cycling race, but certainly other stuff. You know that we were we are very lucky because in this edition, I, I mean this. Uh, Edition of the Giro is really historical. Why? You know, maybe because it's the 100th edition? Yes, but this is not the most important topic. The most important topic, Sardinia and Sicily together in the same edition. So a lot of sand, a lot of beaches, and a lot of beautiful photos. And today in Gazzetta, we we published a marvelous picture of my soul sister Pippo Pozzato that certainly in the rest of the day he went to the beach uh, I must confess dear listeners when I can in the Giro I go to the beach every day now, Chiro, if, if, sorry, you're playing, if you're listening to this at home and playing Chiro Bingo I think you've got full house, full house, full house. <laughs> well Daniel we've been here before we've recorded in here before and as often happens uh, during the Giro, especially early on in the Giro, it does feel a little bit out of season. Here we are up at the top of Mount Etna. It's one of those days where you can get sunburn and very chilly all at the same time. Um, we've had the, the staff here at the cafeteria kind of clearing up around us that the hint has been dropped fairly firmly um, that we are outside the time limit. We are, Lionel. Tomorrow we're going from Catania to Messina, or the race is going to Messina, home of what the beer you, you've just drunk, home of Los Squalo, the shark, Vincenzo Nibali, who will probably be looking to make amends for today. There's not really not really ideal terrain for that. People were talking about a sprint today. There's a big climb in the middle of the stage. Do you know who I saw at the finish as well? Our old mate um, Gianni Savio, who was not very happy because he didn't manage to put up any drones today. None of his riders were in the breakaway. Tomorrow, he said, well, he told us this a few days ago, cycling is beautiful, affascinante, perché imprevedibile. It's beautiful because it's unpredictable. So who knows, maybe one of Gianni's boys will get in that break tomorrow and win the stage. Well, we will sum up stage five tomorrow, but uh, we need to get back down the mountain. We've got a a date with dinner. Hopefully it won't take two hours and uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit better than last night. Let's hope so, Lionel. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burnett.